Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 19 and 20 of New Moon, titled Race and Volterra. Ooh. Now I'm combining these two chapters because chapter 19, Race, is literally just Alice and Bella on a plane, the whole chapter. And even though the chapter's called Race, they're seeming to operate under the assumption that Edward has this huge head start. (laughs) Even though, as we discussed last week, the flight times from Rio to Italy and Seattle to Italy, it's, it's pretty much the same. And Edward only just made that decision when he had the the phone call and Alice got the vision straight away. But apparently it's a catch up race. He's got all this time ahead of her, which I don't think is the case. It's all very airline dependent. And I don't know if Stephanie's ever been on a plane before because the way she's riding it, it's as if they race to the airport and they just hop on the plane. Because we all know you can spend hours in an airport just going through security, going through customs. Does Alice have a passport? How is she getting through customs? Do they have a visa to get into Italy? All of these practicalities are just skipped over. And the way she describes being on a plane, oh boy, this book was written like in 2005, 2006. I think it came out in 2006. But if you had told me Stephanie actually wrote this in the 90s and only released it in 2006, I'd believe it. Because at one point they're sitting on the plane and Alice lifts the phone on the back of the seat in front of her and starts making a phone call using that phone. And I don't think that's been a fixture of planes for decades. A plane phone. It's been years since I've seen one of them. So yeah, where we left off, Alice had the vision that Bella jumped off a cliff because she did jump off of a cliff. She says to Rosalie, oh, Bella's committed suicide. How about that? And then Rosalie decides to share that with Edward because she's just not a very uh, considerate person. And so then Edward's like, well, that must be the truth. If Alice has had a vision of it, that's the truth. And so then he calls up Charlie's house, maybe to do a fact check, unclear what his purpose is, but Jacob's like, oh yeah, no, Charlie's at the funeral. And Edward's like, well, that's enough confirmation for me. And he decides to go to Volterra where you know, the cult of vampires live and ask for them to kill him because that's the only way that he can think to die. 
How convoluted is that plot? Just saying it out loud, it's just like all these little threads that she's put together that don't make sense, but she's done her best, hasn't she? And because Alice is a fortune teller, she's seen that Edward's got this plan. So now her plan is to take Bella to Italy (laughs) to show Edward, hey, look, she's still alive. Because Edward tossed his phone in a trash can in Brazil, and that's the only way to reach him. Do they not have friends in Italy they could contact and be like, oh, do you want to do us a solid? Like, Carlisle's friends with Arrow and whatever the other Volturi people are, can he not just be like, oh my God, guys, huge mix up with my son. Anyway, we think he's going to come to you guys. Can you just keep an eye out for him and maybe tell him that his girlfriend's still alive? You know, just send them a message. Drop them a line. So we start this chapter with her saying, we made our flight with seconds to spare. Seconds to spare. Ah, A part of me thinks that doesn't actually ever happen because as I said, you get to the airport, you go through the customs, you go through security, you've got a board, that takes forever. So are you ever really making a flight with seconds to spare except for on the movies? So I was calling bullshit, but then I remember that time my friend Caitlin and I, we had a stopover in Portugal and... (laughs) We thought we had so much time on our hands. We had checked in, checked the bags. We were like, God, our connecting flight's not for hours. So like, we were like, let's get lunch. We were like, you know what? Let's get some more Portuguese tarts because we loved the Portuguese tarts. And we were like, we're in Portugal, airport at least. Let's get some Portuguese tarts. And so we lined up, we got some, we ate them. They were fantastic. And then I was thinking, you know what? I need more Portuguese tarts. And I was thinking, I can't leave this airport without at least lining up for an extra Portuguese tart to maybe eat on the plane. So we then drag ourselves off to another little cafe on our way to the gate. We're like, we've got plenty of time. Let's stop at the gate. I think we read the boarding pass wrong or something because we were in that line for Portuguese tarts. And then we like, we're hearing the announcements and we were like, oh shit, our plane is fully boarded at this point. So we had to like run to the gate, didn't get the tarts, which is the biggest travesty of this whole story. Like I did already have like, four extra tarts on my person ready to go, but I wanted more because I was just really enjoying the tarts. Anyway, so we we got to the gate and they were like, oh, there you are. Where the hell have you been? And everyone had already boarded. So then we got, got on the plane and everyone was already seated and was giving us death stares as we were walking down the aisle. So yeah, we made that flight with seconds to spare. So I guess I guess you can just make a flight with seconds to spare. But then she's telling us how the plane sat idle on the tarmac and she's just really stressed out because everything's taking so long. She says the pilots leaned out of the cockpit, chatting with the flight attendants as they passed. I don't really know how often a flight attendant is passing the cockpit because the cockpit's at the front of the plane. Flight attendants are usually walking up and down the plane, not left and right across the cockpit. Also, the cockpit door has been shut since like 9-11. Pilots don't just lean out of the cockpit anymore. That's not, that's not really a done thing while there's passengers on the plane. And Bella's stressed, she's bouncing up and down with anxiety. And Alice says to her, it's faster than running. (laughs) I'm glad that's canon because I still think that sometimes it would be faster to run. Maybe cross-continentally, yes, flying is faster, but Edward running to Phoenix would have been much faster than Edward catching a flight to Phoenix. Also, I don't know why Alice is in glimmery shimmery with the plane windows being open. So it's at this point that Alice gets the phone from the back of the seat in front of her. Oh my God. And so she calls Jasper. 
And the stewardess comes over to Alice to tell her off for using the phone while they're, I don't know, going up in the air during takeoff. And Bella's expression stops the stewardess for coming over to protest. Whereas I think if the phone's not allowed to be used, they'll just disable that feature until they're up in the air and they're finished takeoff. Also, she calls them a stewardess at this point, but she called them a flight attendant earlier. So I like that she's just using both terms willy-nilly. No consistency in the terminology. Is stewardess the offensive one? I feel like that's the offensive old-timey one that we don't say anymore. But she's saying it. So Alice is just whispering to Jasper about what, what the plan is. She's saying, don't follow me because it could go to shit. She doesn't want him to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. And then she says, I think Bella is the only chance. I'll do everything that can be done, but prepare Carlisle. The odds aren't good. And then she laughs. And she's like, yeah, I thought of that. (laughs) Yes, I promise. What? Why is she laughing? (laughs) What did Jasper say that's so funny when she's saying the odds aren't good for them? And Bella's like, uh, you want to fill me in? Because she's been listening to that whole private conversation, even though Alice can talk in Vampire Whisper. She's saying that we can't get Emmett or anyone else to try and stop him because as soon as he sees us, he'll act faster to try and provoke the Volturi. And she says, if Emmett and Jasper do come as well and the Volturi kill Edward, they're going to want to fight them and there's no chance that we'd win because the Volturi are too strong. And Bella's like, well, can't Edward just hear your thoughts if you rock up close enough? And Alice is like, no, because he might not be listening. (laughs) Sure. Sure, Jan. I think if Alice is in the same city as Edward and she's screaming in her thoughts, Edward, 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 he'd hear her. Because that's how his mind reading has worked up until this point. And then she says, believe it or not, it's possible to lie with your thoughts. If you had died, I would still try to stop him and I would be thinking, she's alive, she's alive, as hard as I could. He knows that. I don't know, it might still give him pause. Don't you think that'd be worth a shot? And Alice is like, well, if there was any way to do this without you, I would have, but there's not, so sorry. And she's like, don't be stupid. I'm the last thing you should be worrying about. And Alice is like, I also promised Jasper that I'd try and get out before they kill me too, but it's not something I can guarantee. And Bella's like, (gasps) Who are these Volturi? What makes them so much more dangerous than Emmett, Jasper, Rosalie and you? And she says, it was hard to imagine something scarier than that. (sighs) Which I would believe if she hadn't just been terrified of Victoria for the past six chapters. She's been telling us about how scared she is about this random vampire bitch and how she doesn't want anyone to get hurt by this random vampire bitch and she can't understand that a whole city full of vampire bitches is going to be really dangerous. And all throughout this chapter, which is just a dialogue heavy chapter, there's a man sitting in the aisle next to Bella who's like eavesdropping. (laughs) He's just listening in and Bella has to death stare at him so he can stop listening in. And I'm like, well, you guys could whisper, you're on a plane. If I was that guy, I'd be listening in as well because they're talking about vampires and Volturi and death. I mean, that does sort of prick the ears up when you hear those buzzwords. So to prevent anyone hearing them, Bella leans in and Alice's lips are at her ears as she breathes the whole story, which is also a sort of weird, intimate thing to be doing on a plane. Like if anyone saw them, I'd be like, oh God, look at those two lesbians. They're really going at it. She making out with her ear. I know that like fan fiction of Alice and Bella exists out there. That's something that I've heard of a lot and like seen on Instagram and stuff. And I, I see where people are coming from. Alice and Bella, there's, there's some lesbian vibes there. So Alice is like, I was surprised that you recognized the name Volturi when I mentioned it earlier. I thought I was going to have to go into all this detail. And Bella's like, nah, well, 
Edward told it to me once months and months ago. So of course I remembered the conversation verbatim and Alice is like, oh, great. And Alice says, you have to understand, we Cullens are unique in more ways than you know. It's abnormal for so many of us to live together in peace. (laughs) She says, well, there's Tanya's family in the North. And then there's this whole city full of vampires that are like a Volturi family and they all get along and don't kill each other. So she's just given us a lot of examples of other groups of vampires that coexist. She also mentions how James's coven of three was unusually large. Would we say three is a large number? She says, our kind travel alone or in pairs as a general rule. Again, we've never met a solo vampire. Not once. Every vampire we've met has been attached to a little coven. But she's telling us that's abnormal, even though every example points to the fact that that's the norm. So she says there's five that make up the core family and they sort of act like royalty and some of them have special powers. And then there's their guard. And there's like nine members of the guard that are permanent, but there's also some other people that pop in and out. And many of them are gifted because they like choosing people for their gifts. That's a lot of vampires. She's worried about little Victoria in the forest in Forks, but not worried about the 14 vampires or more that she might encounter in Volterra. She says they only really hang out in Volterra, their little city, except for when Judy calls. She says over the millennia, they have assumed the position of enforcing our rules, which translates to punishing transgressors. And Bella's like, there are rules? Shouldn't have someone told me considering I wanted to be a vampire? Not about you, babe, and this isn't the point of the story. And Alice is chuckling. She's like, it's not that complicated, Bella. There's only one core restriction, and that's to keep our existence a secret. So already Edward and Alice and the Cullens have broken the rules by telling Bella. And that's when Bella pieces it together. And that's when Alice says that Edward's planning to flout that in their city, the city that they've held for thousands of years secretly. She says they're really protective of their city and they don't allow hunting within its walls, but they just go outside of the walls and bring people back to kill them. Sort of seems like splitting hairs, a bit potato, potato. Oh, we don't kill people in our city, but the next town over, ravaged. (laughs) Don't know how that's more inconspicuous. And it just makes me think of in the movie, like, don't they like have like a tour group passing through with like cameras and then they shut the door and then they massacre all of them? Wouldn't that sort of raise, raise a few red flags if all these tour groups just all the time kept disappearing in this one city? Just Kentucky buses full of people disappearing. I feel like that would probably raise an alarm. And at one point, Bella says Edward's name out loud. And she's like, wow, I can't believe I can finally say his name out loud. She says, maybe it's because I wasn't really planning on living much longer without seeing him. That's, that's what the difference is. Oof. So she's pretty much on a suicide mission and she knows it and she's not ashamed of it. Stephanie's just being too carefree with the Romeo and Juliet illusions. I really don't like the idea of suicidal teens being the main feature of this book that's been so widely read by people. I hate the message that if your boyfriend dumps you, you have to die. And Alice says, I doubt they've ever had a situation quite like this. You don't get a lot of suicidal vampires. And when she says that, Bella makes a sound that was like a cry of pain thinking about Edward committing suicide. And it's like, well, you're, you're suicidal too. Yes, when you jumped off the cliff, you were telling yourself it was because you wanted a bit of cliff diving fun, but you also didn't like swim once you started drowning. You sort of just gave up. 
And you just told me a paragraph earlier that you weren't planning on living very long. So I don't know why you're shocked at someone else's suicidal tendencies. And then Alice even tries to comfort her being like, oh, don't worry, Bella, it's not over yet. And she's like, yeah, well, even if we don't succeed, the Volturi will get us if we mess up. And Alice is like, you say that like it's a good thing. And she's shrugging. So she's, she's actively suicidal. She's embracing death if Edward dies, which, oh boy. So then Alice is like, that's enough chit chat. And she just rests her eyes and starts imagining all the different futures that are possible. She's like Doctor Strange in Infinity War, where he's like, looking at all the different options. So then Bella's left alone with her thoughts, which is always a bloody fun read. She's saying, I wasn't as stupid to think that saving him would mean that I could stay with him. I was no different, no more special than I'd been before. There would be no new reason for him to want me now. So she still has such low self-esteem and low self-worth in this relationship where she thinks that he won't want to be with her, even though he's gone on a suicide mission to kill himself just because she's dead. Oh, this couple, I, I hate them. I hate them. And then she describes there being a movie on and you have to ask for headphones to see the movie because there's not individual screens in the back of chairs. I'm sure we had individual screens by 2006. I'm pretty confident on that one. Stephanie definitely wrote this in the 90s. So then they land in New York to get their connecting flight. And as they're landing, she wakes Alice up and she's like, anything new, but she's conscious of the man listening on the other side of her. So that man has just been eavesdropping all the way from Seattle to New York. So then they run for their connection. They get on the other plane. Same thing. Alice closes her eyes and she tries to track what Edward's doing. So she's just stuck there alone with her thoughts. And she's thinking about, oh, okay, if I do survive, what am I going to say to Charlie? Also, would Jacob still want to hang out with me? Or would I end up home alone in Forks with no one at all? Maybe I didn't want to survive no matter what happened. Man, girl, you need help. And I have to say, like, I'm not anti-people going through deep, dark emotions and having these thoughts. Like, I'm not blaming Bella for having these suicidal thoughts. I'm more blaming Stephanie for writing a romance book that deals so much with suicide, especially when her audience are teens. It's so wrong. Then she has a nap and then Alice wakes her up and she's like, oh, they're deliberating, but they've decided to, to tell him no. And she says, the Volturi? And <laughs> Alice says, of course, Bella, keep up. <laughs> keep up, Bella. <laughs> who, else, who else is deliberating and telling him no, you dumb bitch? So it's the middle of the night. The cabin lights must be dimmed and they're having this little conversation. And so an attendant, we're back to attendant. It's not a stewardess. Oh, it's because it's a man. Maybe she calls the female stewardesses and the man flight attendants attendants. Because he says, can I get you ladies a pillow? Being like, do you guys want to shut the fuck up and go back to sleep? And Alice is like, no, thanks. We're just going to have our chat and wake up the rest of the cabin. And Alice is like, it's good news. They're going to say no. They're interested in him. They think his talent could be useful and they want him to join them. And she's saying it like it's happening now, but I think it's happening in the future. How she can't just pinpoint what's going to happen is so frustrating. She's like, oh, I can only say the future depending on what a decision is, but no one's made any decisions yet. She's like, they've made a decision, but they haven't made a decision. It's all very unclear. And even Bella's agreeing with me. She's like, Alice, how are you seeing all of this? Every other time you've seen something, it's been super vague. And Alice says, it's clear because it's immediate and close and I'm really concentrating. 
the faraway things that come on their own, those are just glimpses. Plus, I see my kind more easily than yours. Edward is even easier because I'm so attuned to him. So she sees vampires more easily, but she didn't see James and Victoria and Laurent interrupting her baseball game. Mm. And then Bella thinks it's a nice time to bring up the fact that Alice once saw a premonition that Bella would be a vampire. She is just so addicted to the idea of becoming a vampire. Not sure why. She's just super keen on drinking blood. And Alice is sick of the conversation. She's like, oh God, you know what? This is getting ridiculous. I'm debating whether to just change you myself. And she's saying that flippantly, but Bella's taking her seriously. And she's like, really? Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Exclamation mark. (laughs) She's like, come on. I wouldn't slow you down if I was a vampire. Let's do it. And then she says, bite me. Exclamation mark. Again, it's the middle of the night on a plane. Poor people sitting around them are trying to sleep. And she's doing exclamation mark talking. And the attendant's shooting her a look. The male stewardess is shooting her a look. And she's like, Bella, like, we need to be in Volterra tomorrow. You'd be writhing in pain for days. It's not that quick of a process. And she's still not giving up. She's like, well, if you don't do it now, you might change your mind. And Alice is like, yeah, I'm not making you a vampire on a plane. Like, Bella, think it through. What a dickhead. She is such a dickhead. Like, you're really going to turn someone into a vampire and have a newborn vampire with a plane full of people to eat. Because we know that newborn vampires have trouble controlling themselves. Jasper's been a vampire for years and he's still having trouble and almost killed Bella at the start of this book. And Bella wants to be turned in the middle of a flight. She wants to eat all those people on the plane. And yeah, we all know plane food sucks, but that doesn't mean you should get turned into a vampire so you can drink all of the people on the plane's blood instead. And Alice is like, well, I'd actually would be taking a bit of a gamble trying to turn you because I might actually kill you instead. And Bella's like, no, I'll take my chances. She's so committed to dying. And the only reason she wants it now and then is because she's going to slow Alice down. Just get Alice to carry her and run to Volterra. And then she says like, oh, well, maybe we can do it another time. If I do save Edward and then Alice turns me and I become beautiful and strong, maybe he'll like want me again. Oof. She has no self-confidence. So then she goes to sleep again. And then Alice wakes her up again and fills her in on what's happening. And she's like, well, they told him no. Um, His plans are chaotic. Everything's changing quickly. There was a bad hour where he was thinking he'd go hunting in the city. It got very close. And she's talking in the past tense like this has all actually happened. So it's not the future that she's reading. This is stuff that's just happened. How did he get there so far ahead of him? Unclear. But conveniently, she says that his plan is to wait till high noon to make a big elaborate display of walking into the sun in the middle of the city. And Bella's like, yep, that's probably a great plan. That, that would be enough to blow the lid on the vampire cult that's been hiding in the city for thousands of years. Because his skin, which would look like it was made of a million diamonds, would be glowing and shimmering in the high noon sun. And she's like, yep. The Volturi couldn't possibly allow it, not if they wanted to keep their city inconspicuous. I disagree, because if I saw someone shimmering in the middle of town, I'd be like, oh, what a cool little effect. How did they do that? Is, are they holding up mirrors or something that's creating this optical illusion? Because vampires turning into sparkly diamonds isn't a thing. No one who ever saw that would think, oh, vampire. Like, how does that expose vampires at all? It, it, it doesn't. But Bella's like, yep, that'd do it. Everyone in the city would know that vampires were real when they see Edward shimmering and glimmering. 
No, what if he's just got bloody glitter on his face? I mean, go to a gay pride rally and you see a million people looking like Edward with glitter on their face, shimmering. A million of them. And no one's thinking that they're vampires. It wouldn't even be in anyone's top 10 guesses. And Edward, why you gotta be so dramatic for? And why do you have to wait until like the town square is busiest? Just go run really fast through town and they'll kill you. Or like attack the Volturi. If you don't wanna kill the humans in town, maybe just like attack one of the Volturi and in self-defense, they'll kill you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What is this plan to become a little chandelier in the middle of town? Just glimmering away. Like that's the most diabolical plan you can think of. So basically they're like, yep, yeah, we've got till noon. So that gives us plenty of time to get out of the airport and race to Volterra. And then the pilot comes over the intercom, announcing first in French and then in English, their imminent landing. Why is the pilot speaking in French? They're in Italy. That doesn't make any sense. Did Stephanie get flights confused with the Olympics where the official languages are like French and English? It's not the Olympics, it's a plane. You can speak in Italian when you're landing in Italy. Why are you speaking French? So they get off the plane, Alice steals a Porsche, a bright yellow Porsche to go race to Volterra because it can drive really fast. And Bella's like, sheesh, Alice, could you pick a more conspicuous car to steal? Like, can you focus, Bella? There's bigger problems going on right now. She can steal whatever freaking car she wants. And then we just get like two whole pages of them stuck in traffic because apparently it's St. Marcus Day. Ironically enough, it's this day of celebration in town 
about how some father Marcus chased the vampires out of Volterra, but plot twist, that Marcus is actually Marcus of the Volturi, who's become a little mythical saint figure. And ironically, it's the safest place ever from vampires because the vampires live there and they want to keep their city safe. Just hilarious. But because the town's so busy because of this festival, there's all this backed up traffic and we have to hear about it. And Alice is just still trying to drive into town and she's like, the plan is I'm going to get as close as possible and then you're going to run out, run into the square and try and stop him from stepping out into the sunlight. The most diabolical thing he could think of, stepping out into the sunlight. So Bella sees a castle city atop the closest hill and Alice is like, that's Volterra. And Alice says, Volterra, in a flat, icy voice. And that's the end of that chapter. Thrilling. They were at an airport, on a plane, and then she stole a car to drive to the next city over. Oh, God, what a slog that was. So the next chapter is called Volterra. And we just start with them in more bloody traffic. More bloody traffic. And I think Steph's trying to ratchet up the tension by Bella looking at the clock on the dash and looking at the sun because it's rising up almost to true north. And she's like, oh my God, it's almost high noon. That's when it's going to happen. Hurry, Alice, hurry. But the car in front of them is just not moving very quick. And, and it's just very, very drawn out. And then there's a guard up, up at a gate entry. And Alice is like, oh, Bella, I'm not sure how this is going to go. If this doesn't work, you need to get out and run. Just keep asking for Palazzo dei Priori. And Bella's like, okay, Palazzo dei Priori, Palazzo dei Priori. She's repeating it to herself so she can remember. And it's like, just run to the center of town for the clock tower. Like, how hard is it to find that? Just follow the big crowd of people. And Alice's plan is to let her off and then to drive around the city and then climb up the wall and sneak in over the wall which seems needlessly complicated. Can't you just get rid of the car? Oh no, it's because of the sun. She can't go out into the sun. Oh, that pesky sun always betraying vampires for what they truly are. So we get a whole page and a half about them approaching the gate and the security guard and what uniform he's wearing and he's directing traffic. Oh God, it's so boring. How does she make a transcontinental flight across the world to save someone from exposing themselves as a vampire be so boring? Just through the logistics of traffic, it's just astounding to me that this all got left in by an editor. So she gets to the gate and the guard's like, only tour buses beyond this point. And she says, it's a private tour. And then she hands him a thick roll of money. And Bella tells us the outside bill was a thousand dollar bill. That gave me pause because is there such a thing? They're in Italy. So it should actually be a thousand euro bill instead of a thousand dollar bill. Unless Alice is bribing him with American money. If so, how elitist to think that you can just bribe people with currency that's not their own. The thousand dollar bill doesn't exist. I mean, a thousand euro bill doesn't exist. And because we were in the euro by 2006, and I did check this, there is a thousand lira bill. So perhaps she could have been referring to that and still calling it a dollar instead of a lira, even though the euro had come into play at this point. But as I said, she wrote this in the nineties, I'm assuming. So maybe she screwed that up and and kept the lira bill in, even though she still called it a dollar. Are a thousand dollar bills a thing? I don't think they are. Even if they were, 
how is this guy who's making minimum wage as a security guard for a boom gate, how's he going to break a thousand dollar bill? Is he just going to go up to the local Piggly Wiggly and like order a beer and say, oh, I'll pay with my thousand dollar bill? They'll laugh at him. They'll say, that's not real. What's he going to go to the bank? He'll get arrested for money laundering or something because they'll be like a thousand dollar bill. What are you trying here? Is this a forgery? It doesn't exist. But she's, she's bribing him with a thousand dollar bill. How impractical. May as well have written out a check. So he takes the bribe, even though he's probably confused about what currency it is. And he waves her through the checkpoint. Now she's going up narrow cobble streets with her Porsche, almost hitting pedestrians. They're getting angry at her. I know she's trying to ratchet up the tension, but I just, I can't with this traffic. Like the only thing worse than being in traffic is reading a book about traffic. So they finally get to as far as Alice can go with the vehicle. And she says, it's right over there, run straight across to the clock tower. And also they're everywhere. And it's unclear who she's talking about, but I think she's talking about the Volturi. They're everywhere, even though there's only 14 of them. They're everywhere. Or she could be talking about humans. She could be talking about humans where, well, yeah, of course they're everywhere. It's a, it's a city. So she's like, go, Bella, go, go. So Bella gets out and uh, she's, she's worried about the uneven stones beneath her feet because she's clumsy. And it's windy. And there's bright, brilliant light shining into her eyes. Remember when she was in Phoenix and she was running to the ballet studio and she fell over twice? (laughs) I'm expecting that kind of situation here. And she's trying to run across, but the clock tower's pointing straight north. And she's shoving against people and she's like, I'm too late. I'm not even halfway across the square. I wasn't going to make it. I was stupid and slow and human and we were all going to die because of it. Well, if you weren't human, you wouldn't be out in the middle of the sunshine running across the square. So you would have even had less of a chance. So don't be blaming yourself being human for the fact that you can't reach Edward in time before he steps out of the shadows. This is the climax of the book and it's just so silly. It's so silly. If someone said to me, like, explain the climax of New Moon, it would be, oh, Edward's about to step into the sunshine on a busy day. And the whole crowd who sees him glimmer and shimmer are going to assume he's a vampire. Which is just such a leap in logic that I just can't buy it. But then there's a break in the crowd. She can see a bubble of space ahead of her. She doesn't realise what it is until she bruised her shins up against the bricks that she's just run into a fountain in the middle of the plaza. She ran into a fountain and she couldn't see that it was a fountain until her shins had connected with the bricks. How do you not see a fountain? She walked right into a fountain. But she's like, yay, shortcut. And she's in the fountain. She's sloshing across the fountain. And then when she's at the other side of the fountain, she's using the low wall as a springboard and throwing herself into the crowd. All of a sudden, the clumsiest girl in the world is now an athlete springboarding (laughs) across a crowd, just doing parkour across Volterra. And then the clock is striking noon. And she's like still running and she's screaming for Edward, even though she doesn't quite know where he is, but she's still screaming for him. And then she's crying. She's feeling defeat because she's not there yet. Like, bitch, pick up your feet. Run a little harder. And then Stephanie thinks we care about this family of four people who are standing nearby. And she's describing them in detail, what clothes they're wearing, the ribbons in their hair. Oh, God, this chap, these two chapters are such a slog. Oh, there's the older girl who's, who's this height. And then her mother's standing there and she's this height and she's wearing this color. Oh, 
But the point is, the young girl is pointing at the shadows. As in, she's clocked Edward. She's like, oh, look at that, look at that attractive man about to step out of the shadows and into the sunshine. Why that's caught her eye in the middle of the St. Marcus Festival where everyone's dressed up as vampires, not too sure. But this little girl's just fascinated with Edward in the shadows and that's tipped Bella off to where Edward is. Maybe she's thinking stranger danger. What's that guy doing waiting in the shadows with his chest out? Because the book doesn't really specify it, but in the movies, he sure is pretty naked getting into that sunshine, right? Well, at least topless. Because if you want to make a big scene and have everything shimmer, you would take your kid off. You would. So then she can see him and she's like, wow, it's really him. No hallucination this time. And my delusions were more flawed than I'd ever realized. They'd never done him justice. And let us never speak of the delusions ever again. Oh no, he has taken his shirt off. That is in the text. She says the marble skin of his chest was bare and there was a small pile of white fabric at his feet. White fabric at his feet. Like he took his shirt off and left it on the floor. The way she writes, a small pile of white fabric. And she says, I'd never seen anything more beautiful. Even as I ran gasping and screaming, I could appreciate that. She's just always got to tell us how attractive he is. So the clock's stolen and he takes a large stride into the light and she's like, no, Edward, no. And then he's staring at her, but smiling. And then he goes to step again into the sun. And that's when she slams into him so hard and it knocks the breath out of her. And he's like, huh, amazing. Carlisle was right. And he sounds like full of wonder and amusement. And she's like, Edward, get back into the shadows. You've got to move, move, move. And he's like, <laughs> how strange. I can't believe how quick it was. I didn't feel a thing. They're very good. So he thinks he's dead. <laughs> he thinks the Volturi just killed him instantaneously before he'd even stepped out into the sunshine. He, he stepped one foot into a little patch of sunlight and he thinks he's dead without feeling anything or seeing anything and that he'd immediately see Bella. And it's like, Edward, if you were really dead and having a vision of your ex-girlfriend, why would she be like, Edward, move, move back into the shadows and be like frantically running into you? (laughs) This is so dumb. And she's not even stressed about the situation. Now that she's touching him, she feels well. She's like, ah, it feels like there had never been any hole in my chest. Well, you know what, Bella, there wasn't. There physically was never a hole in your chest. But she's like, yeah, I I feel really good. I feel healed. So she's lost all sense of urgency and Edward still thinks he's dead. Even though he's clearly not dead. He's like quoting Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet saying, death that hath sucked the honey of thy breath hath had no power yet upon thy beauty. (sighs) You're not dead, mate. And then he's telling her, oh, you smell just the same as always. So maybe this is hell. I don't care. I'll take it. And she's like, mate, I'm not dead. (laughs) And he's asking politely like, what was that? And she's like, we're not dead. (laughs) We've got to get out of here before the Volturi come. And then he's finally realized, wait a minute, I'm not dead because I'm not dead. No one's killed me. Like he knows how hard it is to kill a vampire. The whole point that he came to the Volturi is because vampires are hard to kill, but he thinks he's just died instantaneously. And he thinks he's in hell, even though his location hasn't changed. Like, mate, you're still in Volterra at the middle of the St. Marcus festival. So then the Volturi are there. And Edward's like, oh, hello, gentlemen. Um, actually, change my mind. Don't think I'll be requiring your services today. See you later. Tell your masters I said hello. And they're like, hmm, don't think you're giving us the slip that easily. 
And he's like, nah, nah, I don't need to, don't need to have a chat anymore. You guys have fun. Enjoy the festival. And the guys are like, well, let's get out of the, the impending sunlight. Let us seek better cover. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. Bella, you go back to the festival. Have fun. And they're like, well, no, bring the girl. Like, wh- why, <laughs> why are you trying to appear so nonchalant? <laughs> he's really trying to bluff them into letting them go. It's quite funny. And they're like, well, Arrow just wants to have a chat with you, considering you've changed your mind about not forcing our hand. But, you know, the girl's got to come with us. And he's like, what? No. And then this guy, Felix, he's like, well, we do have rules to obey. Remember the rule that they don't tell humans that vampires exist and Bella is a human. And it's a bit of a little awkward standoff. But then Alice is there all of a sudden. And Alice is like, guys, we're not alone. And then she points towards that family the most well-described characters that have ever graced this whole series so far. We never know what Bella's wearing except for, you know, her trackies that she's packed for the plane ride. Is she wearing the trackies now? Perhaps, we don't know. She doesn't get described that much. But this family, God, we know everything down to the shoelaces. And they're still watching all these people who are creepy in the shadows. Is there no entertainment at this festival? Could there not be a, a puppeteer? Or, or like a, a circus clown making balloon animals. Why is this family so enraptured by a, a couple of people in cloaks in the middle of an alley? So they're still inviting Edward to come back and have a chat. And Edward's like, no, nah, not doing it. Just like going in circles, this conversation. But then someone else comes. And Bella at first thought it was a young boy. She says the newcomer was as tiny as Alice with lank, pale brown hair trimmed short, the body under the cloak, which was darker, almost black was slim and androgynous. And now upon first reading, I thought she was describing the person's skin as dark and almost black because it wouldn't surprise me if Steph was talking about that, but I think she's talking about the cloak. Honestly, it gave me pause with her track record with the russet skin werewolves. I was thinking she's talking about Jane's skin, but no, I th- I, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and assume she's talking about the coat. Anyway, she says, that this Jane character is slim and androgynous, but the face was too pretty for a boy. The face was too pretty for a boy. Uh, the whole series she's been telling us how pretty Edward is. Edward's just the prettiest, most stunning person, but no, no, no boy can be that pretty. Like Bella, why are you so determined to gender this person that is a threat to you? <laughs> like this person could kill you. The stakes are high and you're too busy worried about what their genitals are. Like, get your priorities right, sis. So yeah, it's Jane. And from everyone's reaction, she's a big hitter. Everyone's a bit terrified of her. And then she says, follow me. And her childish voice was monotone. A monotone childish voice. I don't know about that. To do a childish voice, I don't know how you also make it monotone. So they all agree to follow her into the darkness. And Edward says to Alice, well, Alice, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised to see you here. And Alice is like, oh. Sorry, it was my mistake. I thought I better set it right. And he's like, what the fuck happened? And she's like, oh, it's a long story. So she jumped off a cliff, but she wasn't trying to kill herself. Uh, It was about extreme sports. (laughs) And Edward goes, hmm. And she says he said it curtly and the casual tone of his voice was gone. So he's really mad at Alice. And Edward, no, Alice didn't make you go to Italy to ask some ancient cult of vampires to kill you. Alice played no role in that. All she did was have a vision. She said something to Rosalie. Stop trying to pin this shit on Alice. You should know that her visions can be wrong. You of all people should know that. 
but now nah, he's all pissed off at Alice. And then we get a really long drawn out scene of them walking through the streets of Volterra and then jumping down a sewer grate and then walking through the bloody underground and she's shivering because she walked through the fountain so she's really cold and Edward's holding her and that's making her even more cold. And they're sort of, you know, having a bit of body grazes. He's pushing his face into her hair and she's like, oh, this is cute. And she says, for now, it felt like he wanted me. And that was enough to offset the horror of the subterranean tunnel and the prowling vampires behind us. Is, is it? Is that enough? She's like, oh, these horrible ancient vampires are going to kill us. But Edward wants me. My boyfriend wants me. And that makes the world of difference. She says, at least I could be with him again before I died. That was better than a long life. Oh, gosh. I don't agree. And it's at this point when his hand is on her face and she's shaking and she thinks it's from fear and then she realises that she's cold. Oh, God. And he's like, oops, so he stops holding her. How do you make an underground city of vampires boring? How did she manage that? The Volturi are the most interesting part of this whole book, perhaps the whole series. And she's talking about how she's shivering because his hands are cold. Like his hands are cold. We've known that since like the fifth chapter of Twilight, since she bumped up against him while they were blood typing in biology. That's not new. It's not interesting. And yet we've got this androgynous little vampire girl slash boy with the pretty face that everyone's afraid of. Can we not maybe focus more on her? Then whether or not Edward smells nice and his hands are cold. I am so freaking bored by this book. An underground city of ancient vampires and she's made it boring. Then she says they're hurrying through the tunnel or it felt like hurrying to her, but she must be slowing them down because Felix behind her is sighing because they're going so slow. (laughs) Classic Felix. Give us more Felix and less Edward. So they get to the end of the tunnel. There's a grate. Edward ducks through it and hurries into a larger, brighter stone room. So then there's another long room with a low, heavy wooden door. And then they're stepping through the door. And beside her, Edward tensed his jaw clenched tight. And that's the end of the chapter. Thank God, because I thought we were going to go through another door. And then behind that's another door. And I'm like, what are we at? Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Just get fucking on with it and get inside to the fucking ancient city. Wow, what a rant. I'm sorry about that. I swear when I get frustrated, but those were two pretty rough chapters. It's just, we had one whole chapter full of dialogue on a plane and then the next one's full of traffic and her racing through a crowd of people and jumping through a fountain and then more hushed discussions in an alleyway and then quiet walking through a sewer. Like this is meant to be the climax of the book. We've got conflict. We've finally got some conflict and some villains And the villain is just sighing behind her because she's not walking fast enough. Like that's the level that we're at. Felix, the vampire, sighing because they're slow, because Bella sucks. Not interesting. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit too harsh. Let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, podcast reviews. Check out the website, blah, 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 blah. Also, you can check out patreon.com slash breaking down bad books to sign up and become a patron to access bonus episodes recapping 365 days. So for that, there's one new episode every Friday. So for three bucks a month, you get four or five episodes a month. 
plus access to all the older published episodes. We've almost finished the book 365 days. So if you're a bit new to Patreon or you've not used Patreon before and you're a bit unsure of how that all works, basically what happens is you sign up on Patreon and then you'll get like an email with your RSS feed link. And then you've just got to go into whatever podcasting platform you use, paste in that feed, and then you should get access automatically to new episodes whenever they're published. So it's like you you set it up once, you just get them automatically. You don't have to keep going into Patreon if you're a bit scared of the Patreon setup or don't really know how to use it. It's just a one and done, stick the link in, nothing to worry about, super easy. So I would, of course, recommend signing up for that because of the fantastic, hilarious content, but also because you're supporting the show and I really appreciate that. So we've got four chapters left of New Moon. We're heading to the end. I imagine it'll be four chapters of just discussions and dialogue. But now's probably a good time to start thinking about what books you'd like covered next season. So I could go straight into Eclipse or I could break it up with maybe another shitty book. If you have any suggestions, please let me know. I'm really open to hearing what you guys would want to hear. And it's been a long episode, so I'll leave you there. Goodbye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.